All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. And um, we're going to continue our series. Really, so far, we've just been introducing uh, the idea of God's law and specifically how we as New Covenant believers, how we relate to the law. And now this morning, uh, Lord willing, we're going to enter into the first commandment and, and unpack uh, the, the meaning and significance of it for us, the application of it for us. So uh, I want to begin by reading Exodus chapter 20, just reminding us of, of these commandments that are given. And then we're going to go to the book of 1 John uh, and just read a single verse there. So Exodus chapter 20, verse number 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carve a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do... No, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And now, if you will, go with me to 1 John chapter 5 and, and the very last verse of this short little, little letter from the Apostle John 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John speaking to new covenant believers reiterates this first commandment, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Unfortunately, the distance both culturally and historically between the ancient world of the Old and new, even New Testament can, can sometimes serve to insulate us from the very pressing reality of this command that we are to have no other gods before him. The command that prohibits idolatry probably, first of all, brings to our mind something uh, we, we saw maybe in high school or in, in college when we were studying the ancient world and, and we think of perhaps the Egyptians or the Greeks or the Romans who had a pantheon of, of gods 
Perhaps your, your mind goes to something like National Geographic or some kind of educational program that you've watched about some third world country in which people continue to uh, sort of insulated from, from progress in modern society. They, they continue to, to worship pagan deities. However, I, I hope by now, if you're a believer and you've studied God's word for any time at all, I, I hope you are well aware that we Western modern people are no less given to the sin of idolatry than mo the most remote tribe who still continues in overt paganism. Sure, the, the form may have changed. It, it may have uh, become more subtle and more dignified, free from what we would consider silly or superstitious rituals. Yet our hearts are just as prone we are just as prone to worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. While we have perhaps been able to make it look respectable, our lives are driven by worship. This morning here, your life is driven, it is motiva motivated by what you worship. And we are so prone to find all kinds of things other than the Lord to worship. You know, one of the biggest biggest lies that modernism has, has kind of taught us, the idea of naturalism and everything else that comes along with, with modernism, uh, is that it's been able to convince many of us that there's a way of living life that is really irreligious. There's a way of living life that is disconnected from worshiping anything. There are people who think, I'm not religious. I'm a non-religious person. I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't worship and serve anything because I'm an atheist or, or, or whatever. But you see, what we have done is that we've mistaken the fact that we don't worship a golden calf or we don't worship emperors or mythological deities for the fact that we don't worship. The two are not the same. We still worship. We've, we've mistaken the fact that we don't have witch doctors or gods of healing for the fact that we don't still worship our health. We do. We, we've mistaken the fact that we don't worship the God of rain or the fact that we don't worship prosper, uh, uh, for the fact, rather, that we don't worship prosperity and, and having plenty. We've mistaken the fact that we don't worship fertility gods for the fact that we don't worship sex. We've mistaken the fact that we don't worship a warrior God with the fact that we don't desire power and to have dominance over others. You see, we may have, we may have freed ourselves from some of those cultural sort of mythological type of, of things, but the reality is that our hearts are, are still given to worship and serve the very same things. Jay Duma, who has written a book on the Ten Commandments that is very helpful and helps us to see this point and he, he points out that the the gods of ancient pagan cultures were, were nothing more than the projection of powerful forces within creation people worshiped Baal because he was the god who controlled rain and thunder and fer fertility you see, they were projecting upon this fictitious deity the power to control these very real and very significant forces within creation and he says this, he says, estranged from the creator of rain and thunder and, fer and fertile fields, people began to worship the creature instead of the creator. What has occurred in 
our modern time is that we've sort of moved beyond the, the primitive and fictitious forms of idolatry, yet we continue just as strongly as ever in our devotion to these very same powers. And he goes on to say this. He says, as the years have passed, many gods have disappeared. Baal is not sleeping for good, is now sleeping for good. Zeus no longer sits on Mount Olympus, and the German gods of Wudin and Thor have no more worshipers. But idolatry does not depend on names. The names may disappear, but the powers remain. And this is what we need to be aware of this morning. Probably, there, there are probably no one here who is tempted to worship these pagan deities, and yet the things that they represent, fertility and prosperity and life and health and wealth and all of these things that they represented, we are still given to worship. We are just as prone as ancient pagans to long for prosperity and health and power and safety and abundance and physical pleasure. The human heart has not changed in that respect. We want to begin this morning by just really defining idolatry. I've already done that a little bit, but I would say this, and this is on your bulletin. The notes are on the back there. This definition is there. Idolatry is the natural inclination of sinful men and women to look to created things to be and do for us what only the Lord is meant to be and do for us. It's, it's this natural inclination that we have as, as sinners. It's, a, it's an inclination of our heart. Of course, God did not create human beings with an inclination away from him, but we know that this happened during the fall. In the fall, Adam rejected worshiping God alone, and instead he obeyed the voice of Satan, and he placed his own desire for knowledge above his love and devotion to God. And this one act of sin plunged all of humanity into a permanent condition of idolatry. From now on, from that point on, all of humanity could be described by Romans chapter 1. And it says of, of humanity that though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. It says that they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's really the heart of idolatry. It's worshiping and serving the creature, created things rather than the creator. And that's that's the condition of every one of our hearts because we are born in, in sin. We all have a, a sin nature. And the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4.8 that formerly when you did not know God, for those who have not come to Christ before salvation, he says when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. You, you were enslaved to these things as if they were God, but they are not gods, he says. And he says in Galatians chapter 5 that, that we have a, a sinful flesh. And this sinful flesh, you can remember that we talked about that a, a couple weeks ago. That's part of our problem with the law. We're not able to obey the law because we have this sin nature within us that is propelling us away from obedience to God. And one of the things that that sin nature within us 
produces naturally as sinners. Like, you, you don't have to do anything. This, this just starts coming out of you but by virtue of who you are, by your character, by your nature. And, and one of the things that, that the works of the flesh produces is idolatry. The works of the flesh, Paul says in, in Galatians 5.19, are evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and idolatry. It's part of our human condition. This means that by nature, we are idolaters. By nature, we are inclined. Every one of us, me and you, all of us, by, by, by our birth, we, we are inclined to worship and serve created things rather than our creators. Creator. We have a, a, a natural capacity and a longing to worship but that's been distorted by sin. And so now it's been turned away from what ought to be the rightful object of our worship, what, what ought to be the, the true answer to those longings to, to worship something, ought to be that we would worship the Lord, but, but now because of our sin nature, we find all kinds of other things to substitute for God. Idolatry is this act of looking to created things, to be and to do for us that which only the Lord is meant to be and to do. Another way of saying that, maybe a more simplistic way of saying that, is that idolatry is when we relate to created things. We relate to created things as God. Because the Lord is God and the only God, this means that there are certain affections, there are certain thoughts, there are certain attitudes and actions that are only proper and fitting to give to God. They belong to God. There, there are attitudes that we have and affections and, and, and responses, actions that we take that should be given to God and to only to God. And that's the heart of idolatry is when we begin to give those affections and those responses, those, those actions, those attitudes to, to other things, to other things. For instance, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Uh, because God is the Lord, this, this means that, that he should receive glory. We should praise him and we should praise only him. Psalm 29, 2 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. You, know, you understand what it means that something is due. It's, it's that you owe it to him. It's not like this is, hey, this is a good idea. This is something that maybe you should consider or think about. No, no, as creatures, we owe glory to him. We, we owe our praise and our adoration to the Lord. And so the psalmist calls us to do that. And when we glorify anything else in that way, when we praise anything else, when we give adoration to anything else as if it were God, that's idolatry. Idolatry is relating to created things as God. The Westminster Larger Catechism uh, gives a long list of ways that we are to relate to God because he is God. Let me just read these to you. It says this, the duties required in the first commandment are the following, knowing and acknowledging God to be the only true God and our God, worshiping and glorifying him accordingly, now listen to this list. By thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, 
loving, desiring, and fearing Him, believing Him, trusting, hoping, delighting, and rejoicing in Him, being zealous for Him, calling on Him, giving all praise and thanks, and yielding all obedience and submission to Him with our whole person, being careful to please Him in all things, and being sorrowful when He is offended in anything, and walking humbly with Him. Those are all things that we owe to God because He is God, because He is our Creator and we are creatures. Those are all things that, that we should give to the Lord and give to Him alone. No, no one else should receive those things. Those belong to God. And when we give them to other things or other people, we're guilty of breaking the first commandment. Now this, I think, helps clarify for us this whole issue of, of idolatry. Few of, or if any of us, uh, would probably just readily admit, yes, I, I worship other gods. Probably few of us would have said that coming in here this morning. But, but how many of us, if we were being honest, would have to be quick to admit, yes, I highly esteem material possessions. In fact, I give far greater regard to my house and my car often than I do the things of the Lord. How many of us would have to admit, yes, I, I tend to put my trust in, in my financial standing in ways that rival my trust in the Lord. Yes, I am zealous for my child's academic advancement or her success in sports in ways that actually surpass my zeal for their salvation and for them to know the Lord. Yes, I, I think and I meditate and I remember on all kinds of carnal pursuits and hobbies and interest and, and entertainment almost entirely sometimes to the exclusion of meditating and remembering and thinking about God and His Word. Yes, I, I delight in the things of the world more than I delight in the things of the Lord. Remember what Colossians says, set your affections on things above, not on things on this earth. Right? And how often do we set our affections on the things of this earth to the exclusion of having our, our affections set on the Lord? That's idolatry. Yes, I honor and adore many things in a way that either, either rivals or supersedes my honor and adoration for the Lord. Yes, I, I daily choose things that are not pleasing to God rather than obeying the Lord. When we think of idolatry in this kind of broad sense of yielding to created things, that which is due to God alone, I think we would all readily admit that we are guilty of breaking the first commandment. I think there are really three specific ways that we relate to God in Scripture that are, are highlighted over and over again, especially in terms of, of idolatry. The first is that God, uh, that our trust belongs to God. Uh, our trust belongs to God. You see, we as creatures were created to believe in and trust upon our Creator. Yet sin has so distorted this that we tend to believe in and trust in anything and everything other than God. And when you look to the Old Testament and you look to the example of Israel, you see this over and over again. You, I think we've talked about how the Old Testament, God gave that as, as an example to teach us and, and to train us. And, and one of the things that we see is just the propensity of, of, the hu of sinful human beings to trust in things other than God. In, in the Old Testament, 
We're not going to read a bunch of verses. I just encourage you, read your Old Testament. If you read it very long at all, you'll see this over and over again. We see that the Old Testament people, they trusted in kings. They trusted in horses and military might, which went together. Uh, they, They trusted in false deities. They trusted in their false prophets. They trusted in other in their religious practices. They trusted in Egypt and other nations to deliver them. You could come up with a long list of things that they substituted instead of just trusting the Lord. And over and over again, he invited them and he he called them, trust in me, put your trust in me, I will provide for you. But over and over again, their sinful heart was prone. It was inclined to trust military power, to trust prosperity, to trust uh, their wisdom or other nations. This is a a repeated refrain in the prophetic books. You've put your hope in vain idols that don't have the power to save you. You see, that's what God always shows them again and again. This is futile. Why why are you putting your trust in in military power? Why why are you putting your trust in Egypt? Why are you putting your trust in what these false prophets are are telling you? All of those are vain hopes. Uh, In other words, when when I'm using that word vain, it means empty or or pointless. The, The idea is there, you're putting your trust in something that cannot deliver you. It has no power to deliver you. It has no power to save you. You're trusting the wrong thing. It isn't just a matter of, hey, we should trust God instead of this, but we can kind of depend on this. He's saying, no, you can't depend on these things. These things will not save you. He says in Jeremiah 11, verse 12, the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they make offerings, but they cannot save them in their time of trouble. And in Isaiah 45.10, or 45.20, he says, keep on praying to a God that cannot save. See, this is one of the fundamental problems with idolatry. When we we relate to other things as we were intended to relate to God, we we trust these other things. What, What we will ultimately find is that they will not deliver. They will not save. They will not give what they are promising to give. Just think about this. How? How foolish is it of us to to trust in anything but God since everything else depends upon God for its existence? Just think about what you're doing when when you do that. We are in essence trying to replace God. We're finding God replacements. I'm going to trust this instead of God. And, And we're making God replacements out of things that are dependent upon God for their existence. We're, we're, it's absurd. For instance, we, we trust in things like our career, our, our job, and, and we rely on that, and we have safety, and we have comfort because, well, I've got a good job, and, and things are going well. And, and, and sometimes that, that comes to the place of trusting that in the place of God. Trusting that this, this means I don't really have to worship God. I don't have to serve God because I'm secure. I've got a good job. I can provide for my family. I can take care of my needs because of this job. But do you understand that the job that you have and the ability that you have to do it is given to you by God and He could remove it at any moment. So, so you're substituting this thing that is dependent upon God. You're, you're substituting it for God. How foolish is that? You put your trust in financial prosperity, but it's the Lord who makes rich. 
It's the Lord who gives you what you have. You trust in your health and strength and you feel like, I'm good. I don't need to worry about anything. I don't need to listen to what God tells me. I don't need to to be concerned about serving and worshiping God because I just feel so strong. I feel so healthy. But, But it's God who is sustaining your life every moment of every day. We, we substitute these things that are themselves dependent upon God. And so let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God will allow you to continue forever replacing him with things that he supplies to you? Do you think that God will allow you to continue forever in, in this condition of replacing him with the good gifts that he himself is giving? Well, Jeremiah warns us, Jeremiah 17 warns us of doing this it says this in jeremiah 17 5 thus says the lord cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the lord do you see when we trust in other things you just hear what he said there whose heart turns away from the lord when you trust in other things you're you're in your heart giving to other things that which should be given to God. And so your heart can't turn to trust in this unless it first turns away from the Lord. So so you can't trust in money. You can't trust in your health. You cannot trust in these things and God. They're, They're exclusive. To turn to these things and trust in them is to turn away from the Lord. But listen to what he says will happen to the person who trusts in man. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall, not, he, he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And so he just speaks of, of this judgment that is coming, this curse that comes upon those who trust in, in man. But he goes on to say, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its, its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Notice the, the blessing and the curse. The person who trusts in man will, will come into this desert land. There, 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 there will come uh, uh, times of, uh, uh, of not having these things that, that he's depending upon. But the person who puts his trust in the Lord, the Lord will supply for him. The Lord will take care of him. The Lord will give him what he needs. This is this first way that we relate to the Lord. There's a second way, and, and that is serving or obeying. You see, we are to serve and obey God alone. One of the things that is problematic with idolatry is, is that all gods demand something. All gods demand something. They they require something of you. It isn't only the Lord who has commandments. You understand that, right? It it isn't only the Lord who says, if if I'm your God, I want you to do these things. Whatever object you give your affection or allegiance to, it will require that you act in certain ways and that you do certain things. And that's the problem with idolatry. The gods that humans create lead them into direct conflict, always, inevitably, with what God commands His people to do. The Old Testament often cites the fact that one of the problems with the idolatry of of Israel is is that these gods demanded them to to worship them in ways that were, were immoral. 
in ways that went directly in conflict against what God had told them to do. And it's still the same. This is why God always insists that, that we serve and obey only Him. Deuteronomy 6, 13-15, it says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. So he's saying you need to serve the Lord and, and Him alone, not these other gods. You, you cannot serve uh, two different gods. It's just as we read earlier, and I'm jumping ahead of myself here a bit, but, but it's what Jesus said. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve two gods. They're going to be directing you in different directions. They're, they're going to be giving you opposite commandments. You cannot serve two things. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and serve anything else. You can only serve the Lord. This is why throughout Scripture, God's people are, are called to fidelity toward the Lord. We see in, in Joshua that that, that, that our obedience or our service to the Lord is to be unequivocal, that we are to, he says, serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Your heart and your soul is the depth of your being. It's, it's down to the core of who you are. And so he's saying you can't just have a half-hearted commitment. It can't just be an external commitment to serve and obey the Lord. But, but inwardly, you've got some kind of reservations or you've got some other kind of things that, that you're worshiping and serving. No, you, when you're going to serve the Lord, you must serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And if you're going to serve him, you've got to put away that, that in that passage that we know from, so well from Joshua 24, you, you've got to put away all other gods. There can be no rival gods. Joshua 24, 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. That, that, that has the idea of fidelity and, and purity. You, you can't serve God in sincerity by serving him and serving something else. To serve him in sincerity is to serve him with fidelity. Serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And as I've already mentioned, Jesus said that you cannot serve two masters. This, this is our problem. Well, why don't we do what God commands us to do? Just look at your life and, and reflect on it. In those areas of disobedience, those areas of persistent disobedience. Why is it that you don't do what God commands you to do? Why don't you live as God commands you to live? The answer is always because you're, you've begun to serve something else. There's some other God who is reigning in your heart. You're not serving him in sincerity. That, that's the heart of disobedience. Anytime I disobey God, if I want to get down to the heart of what's going on, I've got to recognize I, I've made something else into a functional God. I've chosen to, to serve my health, or I've chosen to serve prosperity, or I've chosen to serve entertainment or physical pleasure, whatever that is, those things have become my God. And so we need to hear that, that message from Joshua this morning to put away those gods and to serve the Lord in sincerity. You cannot serve God and family. You cannot serve God and job. 
You cannot serve God and country. You cannot serve God and political party. You cannot serve God and some relationship. You cannot serve God and your desires. You must serve Him in sincerity. The third thing that we see, the third way that we relate to the Lord is love. We are to love God exclusively. We're to love God exclusively. Undergirding, really, all of these other ways that we relate to the Lord is this idea of love. That's really at the heart of it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And when we fast forward to the New Testament and we have the man coming and questioning Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus refers back to this, to, to the great Shema, to this verse that we've just read. You will serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. You shall love the Lord your God, rather, with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. This commandment to love the Lord is at the heart of obedience and, and it's at the heart when we commit idolatry. Our hearts have begun to cling to and, and to love other things. You see, idolatry is a deeply personal issue. Uh, it, it isn't just that He is God, but that He is our God. You shall have, have no other gods before me. What does it mean to have Him as our God? It, it speaks to something more than just, hey, I'm a human being and there's a God out there. And so I guess I should worship him. No, to have him as a, your God is, is to enter into a personal relationship with him. You will have no other gods before me. This commandment speaks to a, a personal relationship. And this is why the Bible depicts idolatry in the most personal terms that it can. It, it, it depicts it as adultery. It, it, it depicts our relationship to the Lord and having him as our God, as if we are married to him. There's this covenant relationship, there's this exclusive relationship that, that we have entered into with the Lord. And when we begin to turn away from the Lord and begin to serve other things and love other things and trust other things and obey other things, it, it really is nothing less than an act of spiritual adultery. In fact, the Old Testament regularly equates idolatry with adultery. And maybe you've seen that before. You say, what's, what's going on there? And, and, and that's exactly it. When we turn away and give our affection and love to other things, it's, it's an act of spiritual adultery. In the prophetic books, the people are routinely condemned not only as idolaters, but adulterers which really, in, in so many ways, although they were probably guilty of sexual immorality as well, is it, probably more depictive a lot of times of this spiritual adultery. You see, our relationship to the Lord is meant to be exclusive. You shall have no other gods before me. That, that could be even translated, you shall have no other gods before my face. I, I don't want to see you running around with, with other things. I don't, I don't want to see you loving uh, other things. I, I don't want to see you worshiping other things and trusting in other things. The, those affections belong to me. The, those, those things that you're giving out all over the place, that, that belongs to me. 
we can imagine, what husband is there who wouldn't despise our wives looking to other men to provide what we as husbands are supposed to be providing? And that's what we do when we commit idolatry. That's exactly what we're doing. Rather than trusting in the Lord and loving the Lord and serving the Lord, we're, we're turning to other things and giving our affection to these things. So adultery or, or idolatry is an act of relating to other things as if they were God. But I want to spend a few minutes on this uh, the issue of idolatry and, and Jesus. We said uh, in our introductory sermons when we were talking about the law, one of the things that we pointed out is that we, we must receive the law in the hands of Jesus Christ, that, that we have to re- reflect on and, and we have to interpret the, the Ten Commandments and all of the law of God, in fact, all of the Old Testament, we have to interpret it in light of Jesus Christ. We have to look through that prism. We have to look through that glass to, to rightly understand the law of God. And there are a few things that, that we come to understand when we do that. I'm not going to spend tons of time on, on, on these, but, but there are two or three things that I do want to point out. First of all, one of the very interesting things is that in the new covenant, when Jesus comes, he demands for himself what God always insisted belonged to him alone. It's, it's amazing for anyone who, who understands the Old Testament, who understands this commandment to have no other gods. It, it's amazing that when you come to the Gospels and Jesus demands for himself all of these things that we've just been talking about, our adoration and our love and our obedience and our faith and our trust, Jesus says, give those things to me. What, what an amazing thing. And, and, and we might stop and think and reflect on, on how can that be? We look to the New Testament, we look to the Gospels, and we see Jesus receiving worship. And in fact, the people, the Pharisees and people who did not believe in Jesus, they said, this, he's committing blasphemy. He's breaking the first commandment right here. He's saying that he can forgive sins. He's allowing people to worship him. He needs to put a stop to these things. He received worship, knees that were to bow only to God. Now bow to Christ. He demands that we love Him and that we trust Him and that we obey Him. He, he demands that we build our lives on His words, that we keep His commandments. Re- remember what He said to His disciples? If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Well, that's what we've just been saying that we are to do to God and to God alone, that we're to love Him. And because we love Him, we obey Him. They, they were to give him a, a place of preeminence. We are to give him a place of preeminence in our lives. Remember what he said, anyone who loves me more than father or mother is not worthy of me. Look, he's, he's claiming this place of preeminence. No other name given by which we must be saved. Salvation clearly belongs to the Lord. He's, he's calling us to trust in him. Well, we know, and, and if you were with us back during Christmas, we, we know the reason that Jesus can do these things and demand these things is because he's one with the Father. He is God manifest in the flesh. 
And so to give to Jesus our allegiance, to give to Jesus our adoration and our praise and our worship and our service is not an act of idolatry. We are still worshiping the one true God. He's just revealed himself further so that now we understand he's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each one of these members of the Trinity is worthy of that adoration and that praise and that honor and our service and our obedience. The second thing that we see as we reflect on this commandment in light of Christ, is that though the law brings condemnation, Christ brings forgiveness. Romans chapter 1, I I read some of that earlier, but in Romans chapter 1, we saw that uh, it says there that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven uh, against all of this sin, and, and particularly against this act of idolatry of worshiping and serving the creature rather than the Creator. And we go to the book of Revelation, Revelation 21.8, we see that God's judgment comes on all who are idolaters. It says, Revelation 21.8, but as for idolaters, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you are guilty of idolatry, if you are, worship, if you are guilty of worshiping, of loving, of serving, of trusting other things other than God, created things, God's judgment is coming upon you. But we saw, as we did this introduction, that though the law brings condemnation, Christ brings freedom from condemnation. And so 1 Thessalonians 1.9 tells us, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You see, there's not one of us here this morning who has always or even still always perfectly keeps God at the center of our affection, who loves God. Just think about that. That's that's the requirement of the law, that you always perfectly love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. There's not one of us who's ever done that even for a day, probably not for a moment of time. There are always things in our hearts that that are pulling us away from the Lord, that that are inviting us to trust in them. And because of that, God's wrath and God's judgment is right to fall upon us. Those things we said, remember, they're due to him. We owe them to him. It's an obligation. It isn't just a good idea or a suggestion. You owe God all of your adoration, all of your praise. And so his judgment is right to fall upon us. And we know, we know that that's why Christ came. Christ came to die for our idolatry. He came and he lived the life that we should have lived, perfectly obeying the first commandment, doing all that God commanded him, always keeping the Father uh, at the center of his affections, always worshiping and serving the Lord and, and what he had commanded him to do. And then he died in our place so that as this verse in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 says, that he could deliver us from the wrath to come. The final thing, that we see this morning as we reflect on this commandment in light of Christ is that idolatry is still an issue for followers of Jesus Christ. I started this morning reading 1 John. 
5, the, the very last word, and John just closes with that, and in some ways it seems so disconnected from everything else that he says, but he just says at the close of that, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's what he's, that's for us, that's for new covenant believers. It's for modern people. Even though we're not wrapped up in paganism, little children, keep yourselves from idols. We still have a sinful flesh. We still need to be exhorted to turn away from these things. We still need, as Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, my, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We need to hear that. Again, Duma, uh, that I quoted earlier, says this, apparently some who acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord of the universe must still, be, uh, must still guard against associating with idols. It's still a temptation. Although we have been given a new nature, although uh, we've been set free from the power of sin, we know that the flesh still dwells within us. And there's still a propensity for us there to, to look to other things. So as we close this morning, let me give you three areas to look. These are three, because maybe you're just thinking this all seems abstract perhaps a little bit. Let me give you three areas to look in your life and, and I could be certain that, that some of these are going to hit you because I know they hit me and I think this is true of all of us as, as fallen, sinful human beings. These are three areas that you need to watch out in terms of idolatry. The first are your appetites. The first are, are your appetites. Philippians 3.18 says this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And that's a weird way to say that. Uh, but when he refers to their God is their belly, most of us who live here, you know, we could chuckle at that a little bit because we've got so much food and, and quite literally our God sometimes is our belly. Uh, and, and we eat too much and, and that too is, is a sin. Uh, not, not to make light of that. But, but I think what the Apostle Paul is saying there is more than just a, a condemnation of gluttony. It is that. Uh, but, but the belly is this idea of our appetites, these fleshly appetites that we have. And we have all kinds of fleshly appetites, right? We, we crave and desire things. We crave and desire food and sex and ease and comfort and pleasure and entertainment. And it is easy for those things to become your God. It is easy for you to begin to serve and to live your life in such a way that you are simply serving your appetites. What do I want today? And, and, and I joked about gluttony. Gluttony is no joke. It really is a sin. And, and some of us live, and, and, and literally throughout the day, we're just serving our appetite, our, our, our hunger for food. But, but others, it's an appetite for sex or, or an appetite for ease and comfort and for pleasure and entertainment. We're, our life is literally governed by our desire for those things. We're not thinking, what does God want me to do? We're thinking, what is easy for me? What is comfortable for me? What, what will pleasure me? And, and it is so easy for those things to be our gods, for them to become functional gods in, in an inordinate way. The second area that we need to watch out is for possessions. In Colossians 3, 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
Covetousness is this insatiable desire for material things, and, and it never is satisfied. It's insatiable. That's what the word means, right? It's just always there, and it's always growing, and I get this, and I, I'm kind of glad that I got this, but now I want more of it, and I want other things in addition to it, and, and we're never satisfied. And listen, in our day and time, and in, in the culture that we live in, it's just saturated with this idolatry. Paul says that that covetousness is idolatry and we're knee deep in the midst of that kind of idolatry in which we love and we adore and we worship physical things, material possessions, and we live our lives for those things. I'm not concerned about what God commands me to do. I'm not concerned about what God wants me to do. No, I'm doing what I have to do to get more of the stuff that I want. Beware of possessions. And the third and final is relationships. This is another area that is so easy, so easy to turn into an idolatry. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus here takes the closest relationships on this earth, and he's saying you can't serve those things. You can't serve God and family. And, and listen, it is easy to put family in the place of God. It, it is easy for you to Put your children in the place where God ought to be. Your primary affections, your primary love, your, your, what you're living for is your children or, or your brother or sister or some other relationship. This is another area that we need to be guarded in the area of idolatry. Again, do you hear what Jesus says? If, if you are placing mother or brother or father or sister above him, you are not worthy of him. You cannot follow Christ and follow these relationships. We must subject them to, to a secondary place. Let's close in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and God, we confess that our hearts are, as Luther said, they are idol-making factories. God, it, there are many things that it is so easy for us to begin to give our affections to, to relate to, to them as though they are God and to give them the things that are really due to you and to you alone. God, we pray that you would forgive us. We thank you for Jesus Christ who redeems us and delivers us from the wrath that is to come, the, the wrath that is deserved for our idolatry. But we pray even as believers, even as followers of Christ for whom there is now no condemnation because we're in Christ, we pray that you would help us to turn away from idolatry. We, we pray, Lord, that more and more in an increasing way our heart would be sincere that, that it would not be mixed with devotion for you and, and for other things. God, help us to weed out and put to death those idols within our heart. God, I just pray that you would expose. Sometimes we're so deep in our idolatry, we don't even see it. And perhaps there are some here this morning that that's, that's the way it is for them. I pray that your word that has been spoken this morning uh, would, would be brought to bear through your spirit 
and that they would see their idolatry, perhaps for the first time, and that you would grant them repentance. Help them, help them to turn to you from their idolatry that they might be saved. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.